Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everybody, this is Lou Nash. And this is Ella Gordon-Latty. And together we welcome you to the redesign of everything. Where we will be talking to the global changemakers, the designers and the practitioners who are helping to redesign a better future for us all. We'll be giving you not only the inspiration, but also the tools to redesign your world for the better. Design is the single most important force in building a thriving future for us all. A future that's more regenerative, more resilient and more circular by design. So let's share these stories and insights gleaned from our guests at the front line of this transformation. Thank you for being here and for listening, because together we really can redesign everything. Hey, Tom, welcome back. We're thrilled. We um, we covered a lot of ground last time, but uh, we've got even more questions for you. And thank you so much for, for coming back on the redesign of everything. I'm so thrilled to be back. Looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> Tom, I don't know if you particularly follow what's happening in the in this space here in New Zealand, but the Climate Change Commission has just released their kind of consultation document, a report about what what do we need to do to achieve our, our zero carbon commitment in the future? And, and the circular economy was one of the the main features of that, which is fantastic. It's indicating kind of their direction of travel, but the real question is how are they going to do it? And we, we've been watching closely with Davos and we know that you're intimately in those conversations that's happening at Davos. What are you seeing there for big governments to actually implement this and kind of what's next in this space? For those who may not know, Davos is the informal name of the annual four-day conference held by the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. The point of this meeting is to bring together global leaders to shape the principles, policies and partnerships needed to meet global challenges and set the agenda for action for the next year. Look, the good thing is Governments are taking this seriously. I think New Zealand is a shining example of, of, of good government really thinking about these things well. I mean, not just this topic, but, but how New Zealand handled uh, the outbreak is, is world class and, and even things like racial tensions. I mean, just, just a real inspiration. I'm also glad to see where America is now going, you know, re-entering the Paris uh, mm, Climate yeah. Accord and, uh, and so on. There, there are really a number of things to think about because we are facing multiple environmental crises simultaneously. They're all very connected, but it's multiple things. It's, it's climate change. While, while my expertise is not as much on, on climate change, I think what's going to be really interesting to see how governments, especially the larger countries, move from rhetoric to action. Because right now, if you truly zoom out, the action is still left up to private individuals, private businesses. There isn't really an effective carbon trading platform yet. There isn't really aggressive, um, uh, you know, aggressive legislation that's forcing. It's all doing it through volunteer efforts. And now companies are taking it seriously, but they're not mandated to. And there's a very big difference being mandated to do something versus voluntarily doing something. So that's, I think, going to be very interesting to see when more teeth are put into legislation around these topics. In waste, which is a tangentially connected thing you know, to all of this, um, we're seeing a lot of movement in the legislative environment around especially in Europe, I would say is one of the epicenters of this around uh, what you would call EPR, like Extended Product Responsibility, or mm. DRS, Deposit mm. Return Schemes. They're really becoming quite popular, and I think we're going to see a flurry of such legislation come. And that's going to start giving more financial flows to recycling. Mm. 
it. And then there's also legislation coming banning certain things. You know, Canada just passed a law banning dangerous single-use plastics. France is passing legislation around uh, mandating reusables. So this is a really cool law. It basically says any restaurant that where you dine in, you must be given your food in reusable containers, which sort of seems obvious, right? Because when you eat in a restaurant and you, and you sit at the table, you get, you know, a ceramic plate mm. and metal forks and knives. And so it seems intuitive, but imagine if you're a McDonald's or a Starbucks mm. or, a, or a fast food restaurant, that is a whole new thing and uh, creating major disruption, I think, in the right direction. So there is really interesting legislation coming. Um, uh, uh, and I hope we see it come to other countries, especially where I am in North America. It's, it's pretty vapid and, uh, and, and not coming at the speed it needs to. Mm, yeah, that's super interesting, Tom. Um, and thank you so much for sharing that stuff. Um, just on another aside, I have this absolute obsession about reusable crockery. In New Zealand, I don't know, I don't know what the history of it is in the States, but our railway used to have beautiful like plates that you used to eat off. And, and I actually buy as many as I can find. Our airline also used to have them. And I'm totally committed to bringing them back somehow, somewhere. <laughs> You know, it, that, that movement is growing, right? There's so many amazing startups and, you know, reusable coffee cups, reusable uh, food service uh, packaging. You know, we have uh, the Loop platform you know, yeah. that does that. I think the breakthrough to reuse will be – because reuse is objectively a better experience. You know, the quality Definitely. of your cup or the quality of the package is better, so it wins there. But where it fails and where we really have to focus, I think, is two things. Convenience first. Mm. And affordability second, but convenience first. And the con- the gold standard for convenience is throw something away. So for 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 reuse to work, it has to equal or beat that convenience. Because if you're going to ask consumers to lug something around or wash it themselves and fill it themselves, which models exist that do that, I think it's going to only speak to a few percent of the population. If we want to speak to the masses, we have to say it's as convenient and ideally more convenient than a disposable ecosystem. Yeah, mm. definitely. Tom, we actually worked with Cadrona and Treblecone Ski Hill last year in and out of lockdown, and, and our mission with them is to create a circular regenerative ski hill. And we actually, one of the key initiatives that they put in play was they got rid of all their disposable coffee cups and had everyone use reusable cups and, you know, the old crockery and stuff. And the experience on the ski hill of everyone sitting around, it, it was looked amazing. It was all part of their customer yeah. experience, really transformed their, their system. And, of course, people wanted to walk off with the cup, and they said, no, you've got to sit down and have your cup of coffee. Yeah, wonderful. I, I hope you're able to expand that to other, you know, locations and uh, keep bringing that about because this is the type of work that needs to happen. Yeah. Mm. And something that we, I mean, we're, we're in touch with so many people daily just as the knowledge of circular economy spreads um, and people really get to understand its benefits, et cetera. But we know that there's lots of, especially young people, people who are mid-career, but who are coming into positions where they can really pull some levers of change in whatever industry they're in, but often suffering from some of that paralysis that you get when you really want to make change and you've got this great new concept, but you just don't know where to start. Or you're a practitioner that's been doing sustainability and you might not know where to start with circular economy. What are some kind of pieces of advice that you would want to offer up? Absolutely. I think there's two big sort of learnings I've had in this, maybe the two biggest. The first is just to the general entrepreneurial question Mm -hmm. is just start because 
thinking is is a much lower level of energy than doing. Mm. And in doing, you're going to get feedback really quickly, and then you have to honor the feedback, especially the negative feedback, and learn and pivot based on the negative feedback that will come, you know, because most ideas will fail. And so it's about actually starting, like creating the inertia, uh, creating the momentum, and then honoring the failure so you can learn and get better and better. And then at some point you get to a success. Now, if we add the word sustainability to it, this has maybe been the biggest lesson you know, of my life in, in, in doing this is it's not about your mission. Like my mission is to eliminate the idea of waste and, and really focus on waste solutions. That's why, that's why I'm here. But that is not the mission of most of the stakeholders I interact with. Their missions are different, right? The mission of a diaper company is to give the best diaper experience to parents and children who, who use diapers. It has nothing to do with eliminating the idea of waste. And so it's not, if I'm going to convince a diaper company to fund diaper recycling, it doesn't work for me to go in, whether I'm an external party like I am, or whether I would be an intrapreneur, you know, like an employee at that company trying to convince them to do the practice from the inside. It doesn't really matter. I won't succeed if I go in and focus on my mission. This podcast is delivered to you by Circularity, a circular transformation agency working with a new breed of organizations and change makers to solve the environmental challenges of business as usual. We use circular practices to unlock innovation that is better for both people and the planet. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, head to our website, circularity.co.nz. But it, or if it does, it would be a small pilot and doesn't go far because I maybe found someone else who uniquely sees my point of view. What I really need to do to establish the ability for it to scale, for the ability to not rely on you know, amazing contacts, but any contact, is to focus on how them embracing, say, diaper recycling will, will achieve their mission. Mm. So I'll give you an example on that. You know, the way we finally got diaper recycling up and running with Pampers, you know, in, in, in Amsterdam was focusing on, on exactly that. So we developed these smart bins and we uh, deployed them in front of nurseries and retail locations, retailers who would then promote Pampers over the competitive brand and nurseries who would choose, you know, start buying mm. Pampers over, you know, whatever other brand, right? Just the location of the recycling bin started driving mm. their mission. Then when, you know, consumers who could put any brand of diaper into the bin – when they deposited diapers, the bin would weigh the, uh, the diapers and then send them coupons into Pampers for every kilo of diapers they put in, again, of any brand. And that would drive market share. And the moment that the company saw, wait a minute, we can use this as a tool to do you know, what, we're, what, what our jobs are to achieve. Of course, we would rather do it through something that's purposeful, like diaper recycling, than do it through something that's benign, like TV commercials. And then off, off it went. And now it's launching in Japan and France. And, but that was the key lesson because, you know, when we first looked at diaper recycling 10 years before and went to the diaper companies and said, we figured out diaper recycling. And did you know, you know, you account, you know, diapers account for uh, 3% of landfills. So da, 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 da. They go, yeah, we know it's an issue, but if we fund it, then it's just going to be a growing cost. And how does that square with our business goals? And so that twist to me was incredibly important and is we even tell our, our team members when they join, you know, we, we get a lot of um, very uh, mission-oriented team members to say, if your client is telling you that they're going to be doing this program because it's the right thing to do, it's actually bad feedback. Mm. Because what it means is they haven't figured out any good reason to do this other than the moral imperative. 
Wow. And then you haven't quite done your job because then when that great contact leaves, you're, you're, you know, the program's in jeopardy and we'll probably have no chance to scaling beyond whatever you were able to achieve, you know, out of the gate. Mm. Tom, I know for many of the people listening to that, what that will be incredibly insightful there for them, particularly in this country and New Zealand, the intentive a lot of New Zealanders is to do the right thing. And mm. for a number of them, they can't crack that business model. And, you know, we're definitely hearing that loud, loud and clear from you as a key insight and, and part of your trajectory and, and success. But, but not in a, um, you know, not in a win on one side. It's a win overall because you're meeting their needs as much as, as, much as um, the greater good. Hey, um, yeah. we're really interested in who inspires you. And we're also thinking about who else we might talk on this, bring on this podcast. Is there anyone yeah. you want to drop some names, Tom? <laughs> totally, totally. So, you know, f- for me, it's what is inspiring are, you know, entrepreneurs that are going out there and, and really looking at how do you scale sustainability. So, uh, for example, my friend uh, Seth Goldman, you know, he started a company called Honest Tea, which he then ended up selling to Coca-Cola and then became the uh, chairman of uh, Beyond Meat. And uh, to me, it's a really inspiring example. I mean, Beyond Meat has now become, uh, you know, the, the poster child for the alternative protein movement. But what they've done to shake up the idea of a vegan hamburger is incredible, you know, and it really changed the way people look at non-animal proteins, which I think is just as important a topic, honestly, as, uh, mm. as waste and, mm. uh, and recycling. So, so that, that's, Seth is someone you should absolutely think okay, about. Cool. Um, I think this is the key, right? It's, it's right now we don't have time, and it's about how do we scale sustainability quickly. And it goes to your, one of your very earlier questions is, if we're going to s- s- scale sustainability quickly, we can't necessarily rely on behavior change because behavior change is a very slow, multi-generational process. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Tom. Before I started circularity, you know, and I was looking at the waste question, why it was occurring, the why, why, whys, right, you know, and asking the seven whys behind it. And I, I went into it thinking, I'm sure it's not just about educating people how to recycle better, right? There's a whole bunch of other things playing out in here. And and I do hear from a number of people in the industry talking about if we could just change people's behavior. And I keep going back to them mm-hmm. and going, we just need to design better systems and products that are desirable yes. and counterweight yes. that, right? We need the equal culture built on this side that there is for, for the linear system. Are you ready to transition your business from linear to circular? Whether you want to design out waste, reduce your emissions, or even explore the nature of your sustainability story, we're here to help. Let our circular innovation partners and design strategists guide you towards extraordinary innovative outcomes. Our circular projects tackle your biggest challenges, embed circular thinking into your organisation, connects you to solutions that exist and creates them when they don't. For the benefit of your business, customers, communities and stakeholders. To help build capability, unlock new value and co-design an extraordinary future together. Get in touch today and together let's redesign everything. Head to Circularity .co.nz So uh, we're at that stage in the in the podcast where we do the flip the Q&A and um I'm a little bit terrified actually what you might what you might ask I'm hoping well, hoping I sound intelligent if you ask me a really really hard question so go no, easy on no. us what what question do you have for us Tom and then I'll defer to Ella to answer <laughs> Yeah I have a, a so what is the for you the biggest the biggest sustainability change in your personal life that you're struggling to make, mm. but it's, but you know it, like it's obvious, but you just can't, you're struggling getting there. I, I, I would love to hear what and why. 
Mm, that's a fantastic question. Ella and I were actually talking about it today, you know, whether we get kind of climate change fatigue and whether we kind of get upset about it and stuff and, and how we move into action. And, you know, I was just talking about my, so my sustainability challenge is how I play this out in my home and how I create influence within my own, own life. And because I set up all these systems in home and, and I practice them and, you know, the worms, et cetera. But like my family just is, you know, I've got teenage girls and I've got a husband who, you know, as a novelist, he gets lost in his books and they, they do these things and it just drives me bonkers that I can't, that I can't design the perfect system that they, they use it. So I, I guess, um, you know, maybe I'm going to be one of those people that go, I just can't change behaviour. I can't get the systems right to counterweight the other systems which are really convenient and really easy, e- even in my mm-hmm. own home. That's my challenge. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Mm. Ella? I, yeah, it's, God, there are many and varied, but I, I would say something I have been struggling with lately is, you know, I'm at the age now where many of my friends are getting married and buying houses and having babies and, you know, there's lots of rituals associated with that in your group of friends. So we're going to baby showers, we're going to weddings, we're buying gifts, we're all of these rituals and as someone that's in the industry... I really struggle to put my neck out and have discussions with my friends about how we can unpick consumerism from these rituals. This is such a funny example, but Tom, I don't know if you have these in America, hen's parties, you know, a girl's getting married and you go out and have a party and um, everyone gets gifts and and you just look at the waste that comes out the back end of those yeah. because energy is being so spent on making this ritual really phenomenal when when you're not closing the loop on what's coming out of it and you don't want to be the awkward person going, hey, guys, just FYI, you put on a great party, but look at all the waste that you have. Or, and you know, we're buying a group present. Well, how about we buy something reused? And yeah. those conversations are really hard to have, but I think that's sometimes the most important pinch point in normalizing that way of thinking. You know, it's important. Don't the gifting holidays suck? Like, (laughs) it's it's A, a burden on the environment. And no one actually enjoys most of these gifts that are given anyway. And and it's also then a burden on even just figuring out what to give, you know? Um, That's why I am so thankful for every wedding I'm not invited to or every birthday party (laughs) I do not have to attend. I'll I'll give you a crazy statistic. You know, we run toy recycling um, in many countries around the world. Well, let let me let you see if you can guess. What percent of toys in developed countries like like the U.S. come back in a toy recycling program unopened, like brand new? Oh, yeah, boxes? like the returns. Like I'm going to say, like ten uh, percent. Yeah, fifteen percent. Thirty percent. Wow. Why are they not Isn't open, Tom? Why are they not open? Oh, so, yeah, it's the birthday party syndrome. Yeah. The kid already got it for the third time and didn't yeah. want it. <laughs> you know, he probably never wanted it, and definitely didn't want three of them, and and they just get thrown out. And uh, I mean, this is like, it's funny, like my kids, I've, you know, two, two little ones and they, uh, they have this funny relationship with stuff because every time they want a toy, we go to our warehouse and they just fill up the car to the brim with new stuff, but they have no concept of going to a toy store and buying a toy. It just shows mm. up in, you know, dad's garbage warehouse. But um, <laughs> it is, it is crazy when you look at that, you know, from the outside, it's like unbelievable, yeah, you, know, yeah, uh, the, you know, that this is a system we live in. Yeah. I'm, I must admit, I... After a couple of years of trying to communicate to grandparents about us not needing toys and 
for the kids and we've already got it, but they just can't help themselves. It's like, it's like a drug. And um, my only win is I got everyone, I, I chopped up all my curtains that I wasn't using anymore and turned it into um, actually quite cool looking Christmas wrapping paper, right? Reusable oh, out of out of curtains. Yeah. And I, I told everyone to come without their presents wrapped and I set, them, set it all up in the room with like recycled ribbons that I'd taken for over the year with, with, this, with this, this cut up curtains. And like, you sh- oh my God, you should have seen my grandparents and parents. They were just like, she's just lost it again. Like, look what she's making us do. But I was like, to see that then under the Christmas tree, I'm like, oh, at least I don't have to deal with all that paper and plastic waste at the end. <laughs> and it's more beautiful, you know. It was so um, beautiful. Like we do it. Yeah. We do it here at home, you know, uh, uh, always in like pillowcases, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, right. And it's just easy. You throw it in, you throw it in a pillowcase. It looks brilliant. You wrap a nice ribbon and it looks better than the paper anyway. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't need to chop um, my curtains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, uh, there's so much there that we can, and this is, I think, to the greater point. That's an upgrade. And I think to the, you know, to the, to what you were mentioning, I mean, we need to make these approaches exciting, yeah. and sexy and let culture embrace them. And then we can get there because, I mean, the, the, the only sort of thing that, you know, on hope is that it's only been 70 years where we've been gouging ourselves on consumerism, but humanity has been around for a lot longer than that. Mm, yeah, definitely. We've got, we've got this. We've got other ways of operating. We can do this. Hey, Tom, we're, we're nearing the end of the podcast and it's just been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. And um, I'm, I'm just so honoured to have so much of your time and, and these insights that you've shared have just, has just been incredible. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the listeners before we, before we do a bit of a wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll leave on one conclusionary point, which is that in the end, what is so exciting about the individual is we always feel we're very unempowered. But I believe in business, the individual actually holds all the power. And what I mean by that is, you know, we vote multiple times a day with money for the future we want with what we buy, because what we buy, more will appear, and what we don't buy, less will appear. It's the most democratic system in the world. It's entirely unrigged. We're voting and we're participating in it constantly, whether we're citizens or not, whether we're old or young, we constantly participate in this. And let's do so with our eyes wide open and buy things that you want to see more of and don't buy things that you don't want to see more of. And the world will move in that direction very quickly, but we got to do it consciously versus voting unconsciously, which is there. I say what we're doing today. Yeah, definitely. Hey, um, thank you so much, Tom Zaki from TerraCycle. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the redesign of everything. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today and a big thank you to our guest and our fantastic team producing the redesign of everything. For more information about Circularity, the work that we do and how we can help your organisation, head to circularity.co.nz or find us on our social media channels listed in the show notes. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And until next time, let's redesign everything. 